Well, last time we, we began the book of Acts, and in Acts we see the beginnings of the church, and, and we will see how the church depends on the Word of God and prayer in order to, to walk in step with Jesus and to, to tell the world, to tell the world of salvation found in Him and in Him alone. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 12. And as you're turning, when last we saw Jesus and his apostles, Jesus has commissioned his apostles. He's promised them forthcoming power from the Holy Spirit. He commissions them to be his witnesses. And after he says these things, he is lifted up, and a cloud takes him up to heaven. And the apostles, they're watching the sky, and then two angels arrive beside them. They, they're looking up, and then they turn around, and there's two angels. <laughs> and the two angels are there to encourage them to stay on task with the goal ahead, to tell the world, to be the witnesses of Jesus. And verse 12, we read that the apostles, these ones who have witnessed Jesus, and that's why they're, it's not, they're, they're disciples, but the reason they are called apostles is because they have witnessed Jesus. They have seen Jesus. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, and it's a Sabbath day's journey away. And it's interesting that, that Olivet is an uh, important location. If you remember, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, that takes place coming through Mount of Olives. Uh, when Jesus gives the discourse, the sermon about the end, of, the end of things, the apocalypse, and the return of the Son of Man, that happens on Olivet. The night of the Last Supper, they sing a hymn, and they are going to the Garden of Gethsemane. They go through the Mount of Olives, Olivet. And then we read that Jesus has ascended and they return from Olivet. Evidently, that is where the ascension has taken place in Olivet. It's interesting. It's not accidental. They enter the city and they go to the upstairs room where they're staying and it's Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas is with them, but it's Judas the son of James. It's not Judas Iscariot the betrayer. It's another Judas. And, and look at 14. All these were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer. I want you to see that. They're devoting themselves with one mind to prayer. Along with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus is there as, as well as his brothers. And all these gathered are of the same mind. This is actually the, really the first church meeting. The first church meeting. And they're all of one mind. And, and there's an importance to seeking church function with one mind. We, when we think of one mind, what usually, for me, is the case, I have to think of the opposite of that. Uh, the opposite of, of, of one mind and... Question, has anyone ever heard of a snit, a church snit? I don't know if that's ever happened here. There's the classic church battle, the color of the carpet. I don't know if that was an issue here or not ever. 
in any one of the rooms in our facility, but, but so often, the word snit actually is a real word. It, it means to, it's, it's, a, it's an irritation or a sulk, a church, a church snit. And, and I don't know, we may not all be crazy about the color of, of, of carpet or the color of this or how this goes, but you know what? We can be of one mind when it comes to prayer, you know? That's the goal. We, and something I want you to remember we won't get as far as the Lord would have us go if we don't have a unified spirit. Let me say that one more time. We won't get as far as the Lord would have us go if we don't have a unified spirit. Having our hearts aligned with, with His heart, having our hearts aligned with, with Him, we, we need to be in step with Him. And this helps to shape how we should pray. Our prayer life, both personal and public, is a reflection of how much faith we have in the Father. And Paul would remind the church of this in in his writings. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Be joyful in hope and be patient in affliction. You know, affliction is going to come. There's going to be trouble in life. You've got to be patient in that. You've got to be joyful in the the hope of your calling. But you've got to be persistent in prayer. And Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times, with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end, stay alert with all perseverance. You know, have some stick to. Stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers and Paul says this, for all the saints, all the saints. So, so when you're praying for me, when I'm praying for you, that helps us with having one mind in prayer. And the beautiful thing about that, that's the church on mission. That's the church in step, walking all together. And, and you know, when we, when we do that, when we are seeking the mind of Christ... That uh, really takes care of some of those rough edges. And maybe snits have never happened here. Maybe they haven't. That's great if they haven't. But uh, having the mind of Christ and, and determining, determining to have the stick to, to, to pray for one another, to love one another, love endures a lot of things, and it will endure that. Um, look at verse 15. Peter stands up this time among the brothers and sisters. There's about 120 of them there. And he says this, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For Judas was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. And and Peter goes on to say a little more about Judas and the vacancy which he leaves in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his residence be made desolate, and may there be none living in it, and may another take his office. Peter is actually pointing toward two psalms of David. When he just said that, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David, Peter's pointing toward these two psalms, which speak of punishment delivered to deceitful adversaries. So what does Scripture tell us? 
that these psalms find their fulfillment in Judas' act of betrayal to Jesus. That is Scripture fulfilled. That's what Scripture tells us, is that we see fulfillment in them, that it's true. That it's true, and if what we read in the Old Testament has come true, guess what? What we will see in God's Word in the New Testament is going to come true as well. I want you to see something in 18 and 19. We have a snapshot of what happened to Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Luke, the the writer of the book of Acts, reveals the final fate of Judas. He says, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. That's happy language right just before lunch, isn't it? And it became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. As a result, that field was called Hakeldamah, in their own language, that is field of blood. You're sitting there and you're listening, you're saying, just a second, I thought that I read somewhere that Judas hanged himself. Actually, you did in Matthew. Matthew 27, we read that, that Judas... He sees that Jesus has been condemned, and and Judas feels remorse. And he returns, he attempts to return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders with whom he made this deal. And he says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And the chief priests and the elders, they, they say, well, what is that to us? You see to that yourself. And Judas throws the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and he, and he leaves and he goes away and he hangs himself. Well, that's a different story than what Luke says. What gives? Well, there's a Bible teacher named Howard Marshall and he gives us some insight. He says that this story raises some problems. A, it leaves the manner of Judas' death very unclear. B, it differs in important respects to Matthew's story. And it's quite possible that Matthew, or Luke, the writer of Acts, is simply reporting what was commonly said in Jerusalem. And maybe we're not meant to harmonize the two accounts. And if we do try to harmonize them, then there's some possibilities. You know, that Judas hanged himself, but the rope broke and his body was ruptured by the fall, possibly after he was already dead and beginning to decompose. That's happy Sunday morning talk. Anyway, there's things we don't know on this side of life and things we won't fully know until we are with the Lord. Peter says in verse 21 of this vacancy which Judas has left, Peter says, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that Jesus was taken up from us, that one of these must become a witness with us, a witness of his resurrection. They're speaking of someone who who has been walking with Jesus this entire time. And and I would imagine that this probably tightens up the the list of prospective candidates. But it's someone who's been walking in step with Jesus, Someone, someone who has been walking in step with the Savior from the time of his anointing, his baptism, all the way to his ascension. And, and it's one who has been present 
in the time of, and I love how the biblical writers, they use the, the, the phrasing, his going in and out. His day to day. Someone who's been there the entire time. Someone who, unlike Judas, never, never turned to go his own way. And so they put forward two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They pray. They've been praying, but they pray some more. And they say, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all people. Boy, that's a frightening thought, isn't it? You, Lord, who know the thoughts and the hearts of all people. Show which one of these two you have chosen to, to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they draw lots, and a lot falls to Matthias, and he is added to the eleven apostles. So what does this mean and why does it matter to us? Well, I'll tell you. The usual way of casting lots is to write a name on a tablet and place the tablet in an urn and then shake the urn until one tablet comes out. And this practice is, is recognized in Leviticus. It's recognized in the law. So it's not unbiblical. What, what we read is that they pray and they pick a process which is contemporary to that culture and, and that time. And, and Marshall writes that, in fact, the church is asking the Lord to make his choice for the right man who was then enrolled as an apostle. The church cannot be said to have elected him. And so we might not cast lots. We, we might not draw lots or draw straws. We might use a ballot. We might have a show of hands. But we should seek the will of the Lord with prayer. Before we venture out in anything, we should seek the will of the Lord. And we do that with prayer. Look at how the apostles worded their prayer. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all. Mm. Show which one you have chosen to occupy this ministry and this, this apostleship. Judas was counted among them. He received his share in the ministry. You choose his replacement. And when they pray this way, they recognize the sovereignty of the Lord. His sovereign knowledge... He knows the hearts of them all. He, he knows the thoughts of them all, as he knows the hearts and the thoughts of, of all who are here. They recognize his sovereign knowledge. They recognize his sovereign will and his sovereign way. Their desire is for the Lord to direct them in his will. Their desire is for the Lord to direct them in his way for them to be in step. And I read this and I wonder, do we show the same desire? It's his ministry, isn't it? That they understand when they say which, the, the one which you have chosen for this ministry and apostleship, they understand ultimately to whom all this belongs, don't they? 
who ultimately will get all, all the glory. And, and, and this is a ministry and, and an, an apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to, to go to his own place, to, to go his own way. And Judas certainly wasn't seeking the will of the Lord. Judas wanted his way. Can we relate? There are times when we pray for the will of the Lord to be shown, <laughs> honestly, as long as it is in our will. And again, we won't get as far as the Lord would have us go if we don't have our hearts aligned with his heart. If we don't have our hearts aligned with him, in step with him. So what does Scripture say? What, what does Scripture say about being in step with Jesus? Well, the model which we are given is Christ Jesus himself. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to have the mind of Christ, aligning with the Lord. Paul, Paul writes, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, the gospel. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to make disciples. That's your purpose. And, and, and Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in, in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our model. Our biggest challenge, our desire, our wiring, we want to go our own way, don't we? And, and we can go back as far as the book of Judges. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, Wow, what a movie that would make. Oh my goodness. We can go back as far as the book of Judges when we read that in those days everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. And it was absolute chaos. We want our own way, and when we don't get it, wow. We do see this in the book of Judges. In fact, we can go all the way back to the very beginning to the book of Genesis and see that mankind's natural bent is to follow his own lead. When we begin to say, well, Lord, I, I didn't get my way today. Or, Lord, you, you sure didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted. Then we begin to forge our own path. We are showing the Lord, and this is, this is, this is pretty revealing. We are showing the Lord that we question his design and his plan for us. We're saying we want to be lords of our life. Not you, not you, God, but, but we. Do you remember Korah's unsuccessful rebellion against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness? Do you remember what happened? The earth swallowed, swallowed Korah and his followers up. He didn't want to follow the Lord's direction. And, and that's Satan's problem. If you look at Ezekiel 28, you're able to see that Satan, he saw himself as a god. And he did not want to be obedient to the Lord 
and the Lord cast him out. So how do we align ourselves with the Lord? Well, through the word and prayer. There's words familiar, I think, probably to most of us. And it's David's prayer for forgiveness and cleansing found in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore the joy of my salvation. There's a songwriter named Michael Card who probably 40 years ago now wrote a lyric that said, don't ever forget what it feels like to be lost. And I confess for me, there's times that I, for, I forget what it feels like to be lost. At one time, I knew what it was like to have no hope. I knew that I needed salvation from my sins because I knew that I was going to hell. I turned to the Lord and asked Him to forgive me of my sins. And we forget, I think at times, that there are people out there that need salvation. People just like you and just like me and people that look like you and look like me and, and matter of fact, people that don't look like you and don't look like me and don't, don't live like you and don't live like me. But they need Jesus. And when we are aligned with the heart of the Lord, in His Word and in prayer, there's nothing that the church cannot accomplish for the glory of the King. But it begins with the, the desire to, Lord, create in me a, a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, restore the joy of my salvation. And the Lord can do all of that now, but you and I have to allow Him to show where we need the heart work. It's His call. Obedience is hard work, but you know we have, we have the very best model. We have the very best model. A moment ago, I shared with you in Philippians 2 about aligning with the mind of Christ. Paul goes on to say this about, about Jesus. He, he said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Because of, of this act, which, which led to Jesus defeating sin and death and hell and resulted in Him being resurrected to life, we are able to live forgiven lives now. We can trust in His obedience to the Father. We can trust in that. And in the same way, because we can trust one who was obedient in the same way we can live lives which are obedient to Him. Lives which are in step with Him.